Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie. I'm Leslie Harris. Always happy to have you join me here. Our plant of the week is another favorite summertime perennial, just like last week's coneflower. It's a native like the coneflower, but it smells much sweeter than the coneflower. We'll be chatting with my sister Sue Ann about what to do to get ready for a garden party. And we're not talking about making cucumber sandwiches. Lastly, our playlist will include how to play in your garden this week and what you might listen to at the same time. It has been hot, 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 and we are, well, actually, I suppose we had a slight break on temperatures, but still drippy humidity, and we're looking for rain here. I don't know if you are in your part of the country. I emptied out my beautiful 300-gallon plastic tanks, and I'm hopeful that they they filled a little bit. Um, Something came in so quickly that I was with friends and family out on the terrace, and we could hear it happening, and we didn't want to go inside, and all of a sudden, my daughter yells out, it's coming. (laughs) <laughs> and from her angle, she could see it coming across the yard, but nobody else could. So we all ran inside and the cheese and crackers only got a little bit wet. This week on Instagram Tuesday tip, I posed the question, do you leave or take away the spent alliums? So just to review, alliums are those tall guys that bloom in late spring or early summer, perfectly round, either purple or white balls. Some of the cultivars, the white one is called Mount Everest, and some of the purple cultivars are Globemaster, Gladiator. They're, they're great plants. I found that the answer on Instagram was overwhelmingly, yes, let them stay. I tend to look at each one. Of course, if it's flopped, I take it away. If it's adding to my enjoyment of the area, I let it stay. It just depends. But I do have a large stand of them looming out above a very low boxwood knot garden down by the back terrace. That just reminds me of a Dr. Seuss illustration. So they are absolutely staying because they enchant me. Our plant of the week is the perennial phlox. So phlox is the genus. It's the generic name. And the one that I'm talking about, the species, is paniculata. And just in case you're curious about other types of phlox, that cute little white or pink or purple rug-like thing that appears in early spring is the phlox subulata. Some people call that moss phlox. There are a couple of later but still early woodland types, and they are the phlox stolonifera and the phlox de vericata. Funny aside, I will never think of the phlox de vericata without thinking of one time when I was in a nursery and a woman with very well-developed vocal cords asked for all to hear where she could find the phlox diverticulitis. Anyway, one of the common names of the phlox paniculata is the garden phlox. So that's the perfect answer to the question, why do people use botanical names? Because don't the other types grow in a garden too? I'm pretty sure they do. Other common names are more helpful. Some people say summer flocks, fall flocks, panicle flocks. So this is a perennial that blooms right about now. And if you keep deadheading it, or if you're lucky, it could bloom right on out through the fall. Mine tend to poop out a little bit, but you might have better luck than I. They can get to about three to five feet tall and a clump can get up to two feet across. They grow in zones four through eight, and they come in all kinds of colors from white, pink, purple, and all sorts of in-between. There's a great pink one with a dark pink center. There are white ones with pink centers. It's an upright habit with lance-shaped leaves, really skinny leaves. They can flop if they get really tall, but they don't normally. If the phlox flops for you, I suggest you either stake it or you pre-prune it, and that way you'll get later flowers. They will come, I promise. It can grow in any type of soil, including our Virginia clay. The deer love it. 
But the good news is that it also attracts birds, bees, and hummers. It makes a very good cut flower. I have always found that phlox is pretty easy to grow. It does wander about the garden by self-seeding. I started this garden here in Charlottesville with one tall clump poking out from among some Annabelle hydrangeas to charming effect, but now I have tons more. Mildew is a problem for this plant. When the leaves get all white and it's not so attractive and they actually can't photosynthesize, it's a real problem. I think the best cultivars to avoid the mildew are David for white ones and Gina for pink ones. But there's another series of hybrids that you might want to check into. They have sort of a more stolen habit, so maybe they're a crossbreed with the stolen affera, although I didn't read that. Anyway, they're called the fashionably early hybrids, and they do bloom much earlier. Mine are sort of petering out now, but they can rebloom, and they are very mildew resistant. They have thicker, more leathery leaves. Oh, um, I used to read in when I was very attentive to all of my, say, two dozen garden plants when I was just starting out, I read that if you thin out a phlox paniculata as it's just coming up in the spring so that it only has four or five main trunks per plant, then, you, then you're really encouraging air circulation and therefore will have an easier time with mildew. I actually can't tell you if that worked, but it kept me busy for quite a few seasons. Now I don't do that anymore. So this is Into the Garden with Leslie. Coming up, we're going to talk with my sister, Sue Ann, about how to prep your garden for entertaining. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, broadcasting on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, and we are talking with my sister, Sue Ann. We're going to talk about parties. We can finally have a garden party uh, with no stress. Actually, we probably could have done that last summer, but it's even less stress now. So how do you get ready for a summer party in your garden, Miss Sue Ann? Oh my goodness. Well, there's so many things that you would have to do. Um, I mean, I suppose it depends on the size of the party and how many, you know, how many people are coming and that kind of thing. I have people over pretty casually a good amount of the time and I don't really, I don't really stress a whole lot about that. Um, but if I was really going to have a party where people might be coming to my house for the first time and who knows when they might be back, I think I would, I think I would care about what the, what the yard looked like and what everything looked like in the deck and all that stuff. Do you yeah, agree? I agree. Especially if you have a bit of a reputation as a gardener, which you do, and I certainly do. Mm-hmm. So, but it also depends. So you want to uphold your reputation. I'm I'm actually having some people over for a drink tomorrow night. I don't know them, but he's a golfer. So he's been, he's a sort of acquaintance of Jeff and she doesn't play golf. She does gardens. And I'm like, oh, perhaps I should mm, just clean up. Well, you know, you got to scurry around and at least clean up after your dog. That's at the very least, right? Sure, sure. Yes, that is true. But I mean, you're right, though. Know your audience. If it's going to be, you know, people who don't know you that well, and also you don't even know if they care about the garden, then I think that, you know, not a whole lot is required. You can skip the stress on that one. For the most part, if I go to a party, even when I'm surrounded by a beautiful garden, my go-to is to look into people's eyes and faces. I want to communicate. I'm a people person and I love plants, but I almost feel rude looking in the other direction to look at something unless I can do it furtively while I'm stuffing some appetizer down my throat, or they're actually asking me about it, or, you know, we're talking about it, but it's a little bit rude to just stare into the distance, right? So I suppose, and you probably do get asked. I mean, I certainly wouldn't get asked about things, maybe by my very, very close friends who don't garden at all. Like I'm like the last resort because I'm, I have a heartbeat and I'm standing in front of them. So they might say, as somebody did to me Saturday night, they were like, hey, come over here and look at this as I was leaving um, a, a function. 
and and that's fine. But I think that you know, outside of a really pretty close circle of friends, probably nobody even knows that I like to garden. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to change that by having you on the podcast all the time. Are we not? No, surely we will. Yes. Um, so we're having a party and we're planning ahead. Let's say that the party is, say, I don't know, four to six weeks out. What can we do to get ready now? Well, if it really matters, like one year, my other house that I used to live in um, that had a much bigger garden and a much, you know, it was an older historic home. It was on a garden tour. And, um, and so I had, I don't know, not as much time as I would have, because I'm pretty sure somebody dropped out and they chose me. So, um, and I was like, sure, I'll do it. Um, so I, I want to say maybe I only had about six weeks and I did the things that you always say to do, which I ignore most of the time about debt, like in this early spring about, you know, pinching things and, and, you know, just clipping things and being a real gardener. And I was like, this isn't going to matter at all. And then of course it looked, it did look a whole lot better. So um, those things that I think aren't like your average gardener or your, you know, people like me wouldn't do, do pay off if you, if you know what to do, if you listen to Tuesday tips. Yes. If you listen to Tuesday tips, that's true. Um, I would say that one of the things that you can do if you assess, if you have, if you do have a few weeks or even a couple of months to assess is to look for pruning because we can have, you know, shrubs just get in the way before we know it. They, they're ruining some vista or they're crawling up over a window or something like that. So let's talk about that. If it's a flowering shrub or a boxwood or something, and you, and you have some time to go ahead, um, you don't want to go too, too hard. When, when we, at, you know, at LH Gardens, when we talk about pruning, we don't like to leave what we call candlesticks. They're actually more like pencils if the, if the branch is pretty thin, but picture looking at a shrub that has been pruned and you can see, you can see the prune mark, you can see the cut mark. So what you want to do if that happens is actually just, you can make that cut if that's your initial cut and you're like, okay, you know, I, I need to have it shaped here. But then if you stand back and see a bunch of pencils looking at you, then you want to go back and cut down deeper. And of course, the best way to do it is to cut right before a set of leaves so that the plant can, you know, those leaves can be the ones that you see. But if there's just no way to do that, just don't leave a pencil, just go deeper so that the things that you haven't cut are the things that you can actually see. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But I have to say that it took years for me, first of all, full disclosure, I'm sure I do all my pruning wrong, but, um, but it took me 20 years probably to finally remember like, Oh, wait till it flowers, then prune it. I mean, it took me a long time to do that. And I'm pretty sure that I don't actually prune them like on the right angle. And can't they also get like rot or problems if you don't do it right? Uh, not that I know of. No, okay. <laughs> no, I think so. And and most of the gardeners that I encounter, if I go on a consultation job or something, they're, they're a little bit um, too respectful of the, the delicate health of a plant. Really, plants just don't mind being pruned. They get pruned in nature by terrible things like other tree limbs falling on them or something like that. But they're really pretty tough if they're old and established. So I would say if you're in doubt and you have time and you know you have time for the plant to, to sprout out again, you know, you can go pretty hard or you can go pretty hard in places. Um, Isn't the rule though, like a third? 
a third, a third, and, and a third can be pretty hard. If you are looking at a boxwood that only has, because it's only been pruned or maybe sheared on the outside. So, okay, let's say it's a four foot tall boxwood and you dig your hand in there and you realize that the foliage of that boxwood is only on the last six inches of each branch. That means it's probably been sheared as opposed to pruned. So nobody's poked skylights in it. Nobody's poked holes in it. No light has gotten in there. So yeah, you probably can only take away about four inches of those six inches of vegetation unless you're okay with the stick look for quite a while. And don't, please don't do that right before a party. Um, yes, no, because I actually did that last year to some front, and I don't know what they are, but they're evergreen, um, you know, kind of foundation scrubs. And uh, and two of them look good. And one of them looks like it, it was part of a massacre that I exacted on it. <laughs> this is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. We are talking with my sister Sue about what to do to get ready for a garden party. Um, so we're talking about planning ahead. We're talking about pruning. Um, it's so uh, we want to leave time for that shrub to recover if we're going to prune that. Um, what about deadheading? I think that depending on the shrub, if you look ahead to deadhead, for example, maybe if you had um, some roses and they're, they're blooming now, as you're looking around six weeks before, now is the time to go ahead and say, you know, I'm going to cut you guys and bring you inside and put you in a vase and enjoy you. And if I give this baby a little, you know, love, some extra water, some extra food, then maybe I'll have blooms in time. Six weeks eh, might be a stretch, but it could work. It's worth a try. What do you think? So is that too long? So that's too short of a time. Could be too short of a time, depending on the vigor of the plant. Roses, I bet you could recover from that. Yeah, I think so. But they do tend to languish in August. Depends sort of on when your party is. Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would probably clean things up in the sense of even maybe not on a flowering shrub, but just to make things look a little tighter. And then also if, um, to your point earlier, if something's kind of getting in the way of, of the view of something else. I mean, because if somebody does come over to your house for a party or even for a cocktail, they're going to be in probably one or two locations and that's it. And so that's the view that they have, which is why I never go around the corner of my sunroom because no one's ever going to see it. So don't, if you come to my house, do not go there. But yes, yeah, so I would think that like certain things that are just getting overgrown because of the branches, like I have some crazy viburnum um, shoots coming up right now. And I'm like, ooh, those aren't part of another branch. They're just coming up. And I actually don't know what to do with those. So those are suckers at the bottom of the plant? I suppose. Yeah. But they're like five feet tall and they just came up this year. Yeah, they go really fast. That The new growth on plants like that, lilacs and some other ones go a little bit faster than the old established. For me, I don't like that look. I think it's a hairy look. Unless you're trying to establish a grove of viburnums, I would take those away. Um, they're de generally growing toward the middle of the plant and they won't flower as well. So okay. I, I would take those away. And I think that just sort of cleans it up and makes the plant look more, you know, the classic vase shaped, well-intentioned, Viburnums can have good looking bark. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to hide that. So, so that's something that you can do. Um, I agree with you in terms of making sure that you honestly sit on your patio and pretend like you're a guest at this party. What are you looking at? Because let's not go overboard. You have other things to do to get ready for this party, such as making absolutely wonderful appetizers and getting a good bartender and blah, blah, blah. So we, we don't have to go crazy. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
getting everything that's ugly out. And, and, and the basic thing, and I say it all the time, is browns and downs. Anything that's floppy, anything that's brown, you can edit those. And even if it makes your plant smaller, it does make your plant neater. Um, so deadheading a head for fresh growth at party time is a good idea. Pinching a head. If you have containers where you think your guests will be, I would think those would need a little special extra snip, snip, groom, groom, maybe two weeks before. What do you think? That actually um, makes me think of a question. I have um, some of those petunias, the super duper wavy petunias, like boxing out everything else that I put in my containers that I did in May. And so do I just give those a massive haircut and hope for the best in like three weeks? Yeah. And the best way to do it, I just had... Um, Steph Green on the show very recently, and she's the expert in containers. I also, in those show notes, put a link to this great video that she did where she lifts up. So she, Steph Green of Contain Creations in Richmond, where she lifts up this very, you know, fat and way too big um, sweet potato vine. And you can do this for petunias, calibracoas, um, anything that's just gotten a little bit too much. So instead of taking away what you see, you lift up the plant and you prune it from behind underneath. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. You take away the older woody stems. Nobody sees a hole and the plant, you know, when a plant gets cut, its reaction is to say, oh God, I better grow some more. So you're, you're taking it away because it's become too big, but you're going to promote fresh growth that you're going to like at party time. So that's a okay. really good idea. And pinching coleus um, and again, deadheading. Yeah. Stuff like that. Oh, um, now that we're in sort of in the height of daylily time right now, where we're recording this in mid July, if you have some, um, daylilies that are going to bloom again, then you might want to really attack them now and let them come back fresh. Again, a, a good dose of water and a little bit of feed will help your purpose. If you want to get things going again, because you've sort of attacked them in anticipation of this great event. Yeah. So that's actually a good point because I never used to feed any of my plants ever. And just because I've had, I had more time last year because of the shutdown and because everything that I've planted is so much closer to me because my yard is so much smaller. I did it. I actually did get some, um, I don't know what it was called. 10 to 35. I don't know. They have numbers on them. Yes. They and, do. uh, <laughs> I just, go, I just go for the one on Amazon that has the most people that bought it. And then I'm like, well, oh, that'll probably work for me. So, um, and feeding them did help though, which was good. I mean, I don't do it as often as I'm sure that, the you know, the label would suggest, but I did get more blooms and I for sure do that in my window boxes. Um, out front on my house because those are pretty, you know, pretty shallow. And so I have to, um, just because of erosion, I have to add more, you know, more soil to that. And then when I do that, I do actually add um, that stuff and it helps. Yeah, it really does. And it's much more immediately effective than the Osmocote or the granular ones that are slow release. But the reason, the other reason that you kind of need to do that if you want a really good flower show is because those container plants just don't have a lot of earth to deal with. There aren't any right, right. nutrients or all this stuff. I will get into the science just like I am so unscientific, but you apparently are even, uh, you, you got even oh, less of that gene. That yeah. is for sure. Okay. So um, anyway, it's NPK, nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. No, did I get that right? Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. K is for potassium. And it's the middle number that promotes um, blooms. And so you can actually buy products that where you don't have to think about science at all. And they're called things like bloom booster. And it's quite satisfying. The granular is very effectual and very quick. So that's a really good idea. 
This is Into the Garden with Leslie. We're talking with my sister, Sue, about how to get ready for a garden party. All right, so we've done all our homework six weeks before, and we're feeling pretty good about things. Now it's the time, like we're in the last week. So easy, browns and downs are out. Um, Oh, how about the lines in the garden? Gardens just love a good line. So what do you think about a fresh edge and mulch? That could be done up to two or three weeks before. I would think that could be done at least, yeah, at the very least two weeks in advance. Because the thing that you probably don't want to do on the day of your garden party is be out with a shovel trying to mulch and, you know, put in lines then because it's backbreaking work and your fingernails would get super dirty and you're not going to be, you're going to be too tired to be nice to your guests. So I would definitely do that at least, I mean, at the very least a week before, but, and, and again, if you want to cheat, just do what Saran does and only what you can see and, you know, expect that most people aren't going to actually walk out and, you know, inspect places around corners, et cetera, et cetera, is important, I think. And then right, right off of wherever it is that your patio or deck or wherever you're planning on being. Exactly. If they do walk around to the untended parts, well, they get the punishment that they deserve. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. So edging and mulching. Yeah, it's it's hard to overestimate how important lines are in the garden. So if you have a nice curvy bed or a nice straight edge and it's just like, wow, it just really makes everything look intentional and neat. So those lines and a fresh layer of mulch and of course weeding. Um, how about like I, I had a tour a couple of years ago where I had a massive, um, well, it was a pretty big, I would say, you know, four or five feet tall rhododendron, and it was not quite dead. It was dying. <laughs> so I didn't want to give up on it because it was a pretty important part of that back part of the woodland path. And and yet there it is looking very, oh, it was pathetic. And so here's what I did, and it really helped. And I, I actually, I was taking a garden club around and I showed them because I knew that some of them would have a discerning eye. So I said, look, see that beautiful planter that I put right in front of that dying roadie? It's because I didn't want to give up on the roadie quite yet. How do you like the planter? And they were amused and they, they liked it. For somebody who's a little bit less um, discerning, so just a regular party goer as opposed to a garden club member who's really you know, weighing and balancing what the heck you have in there, uh, it's it's just a good ruse. Just stick something pretty, whether it's a a pot from another part of the garden, or maybe a you know a even an empty container that's a good looking one can distract the eye against something ugly that you can't get rid of. Let's talk about plastic. Are you are you um, one of those people who keeps their plastic tags? I it just depends on what I mean. Generally, no. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure in some of the shrubs in the back of my yard, at least two of them. I, I'll pass by them on the way to my compost pile or weeding. And I'm like, I'm going to remember to do that. And then I don't, I did get rid of most of them last summer, but I mean, I generally know now what everything is. Um, so yes, I don't, I don't try to keep those, but if something's really small or if I've grown it from seed, I will keep it because I really forget what I've done even up to, you know, a couple of days before. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'll take a photograph on my iPhone instead. I just don't want to see that. And um, I've had some clients in the past who wanted to keep them. And I would just say, I'm sorry, I, we can't, I can't be with you in your garden. If this is, if plastic is part of your garden, I just, I, I, I will tell you what the plant is. Yeah. No, I wouldn't want to keep them permanently. 
Um, but I mean, laziness has made that happen. Sometimes. Yeah. There's a laziness thing. Or there's the other thing, like our mother who used to say, I used to tend mom's garden as she was getting older and she would say, well, how will I know what it is? And I'll, and I said, you can ask me, and, well, how will I, maybe I won't, for, you know, maybe I can't get you on the phone. I'm like, <laughs> for that plant identification emergency. So yeah, important. Exactly. I'll call a uh, P11, plant 11. <laughs> plant 11, get her on the phone. So last minute, browns and downs, again, just check and weeds that have popped up, because, but maybe you've put down that really nice layer of mulch, so that's not really happening. Oh, give a scrub to your bird baths. You know, they can be science experiments pretty darn fast, right? That is true. Yeah. And that's just, not, that's not only for your party guests, but for your, for your, uh, you know, your pollinator party guests. Um, and then mowing and blowing at the end. I have, I am in love with my little handheld blower. Do you have one of those? I don't. I don't have one of those. I have a gas card one from my old house, but I have an also a lawn company that comes now and does that. So I don't do it nearly as often as I once did. At work, we have um, we have an electric one that has a really long cord and it is it's hella good. It is so light and really powerful. Uh, so maybe I might get one of those or one of the you know, one of the ones that has the little um, battery pack thing like you have. Oh, my gosh. Um, they're so they're, I have a little tiny one for my house. And then, you know, for LH Gardens, when, you know, when we would go out onto the clients, you can have two of them in your hand and it's just so fast and it's so lightweight and Christmas is coming, little Sue Ann. There you go. There you go. Even if you have done nothing to prepare at all, like you haven't cut in beds and you haven't pinched and you haven't fed your, you know, your uh, window boxes and all that junk, just using the blower the day of all, you know, all over your deck or patio or whatever that is. And, and just to get the debris off of your um, beds, it makes a huge difference, I think. If you did nothing else, that would help. It makes a huge difference. And those little, those little handheld ones making, make it so that you're not blowing the mulch away. You're not blowing the, blowing the heck out of it. You're just tidying. And so they're, they're really good. Black and Decker makes a good one. Steel makes a good one. Oh my gosh. I, I could not live without all right. Well, this was really fun. I think we've got our party planned. Are we ready? I think we do. We'll just, I'm waiting for my invitation. I'll take the cocktail before the invitation. <laughs> That's where I am. <laughs> Don't forget to grow mint so you can make mojitos. Absolutely. I have some and I have actually two kinds. So I'm all set. Wow. It's very sophisticated. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And next we'll be talking about what to do in your garden right now and what to listen to while you are out there. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie. Now it's time for the playlist, weekly practical information on what to do in your garden right now and maybe what to stick into your ears while you're out there playing in the yard. Sue Ann is always good to bounce ideas off of. When we were little, I used to bounce more than ideas off of her, but we get along great just now. I actually Googled the topic of getting your garden ready for a garden party in anticipation of our conversation. Most of the articles that I stumbled into in my very brief search assumed that you knew what to do to get your garden ready, and they concentrated on things like tablescapes and seating arrangements. So Sue and I wanted to talk about the actual gardening aspect. We leave the partying to you. Questions from listeners. Well, here's a question from me. I have this plant called Lespedeza, which is a really good one. Um, it's it's in the pea family. It's one of the few fall pollinators. Unfortunately, it is, like lots of my favorites, native to the land of Asia. However, it does provide food for our insects late in the season when not much else is going on. 
I love the way you can cut it down to nothing like an Annabelle hydrangea, and then it just comes up four or five feet at the beginning of the summer and actually has really good-looking light green pea-like foliage. And then from there, in September, you've got these beautiful pinky-purple blossoms. Well, one of mine just took off and died on me, but the other two seem to be on their way because every week I go through and sort of you know, give a tidy to the garden, only the things that are truly ugly. And truly ugly means an entire branch of my Lespedeza that wants to be taken away. And I'm wondering if anybody out there has any experience. If so, shoot me an email or an Instagram message. I had a question from a listener on why some plants in containers dry out faster than others. And basically, this is the same answer for both plants in the ground and in containers. It has to do with their needs, their exposure, wind and sun, But also now getting specifically into containers, it has to do about the size of the pot. When you grow a plant in a pot and you've you've potted it up and you have a nice amount of roots in there and a nice amount of soil, but the plant prospers, thrives, and grows more roots, basically it's squeezing out its little patch of earth, which is not our earth, but the only earth it has access to, which is your potting soil. So the roots get bigger, the potting soil gets more compacted, And basically, there's just less earth to soak up and then be retained in that soil. So if you're finding something that's really annoyingly dry every other day or twice a day that you have to water it, I would go ahead and pot it on, which means get a bigger pot so that it has more earth to live in and you will not be such a slave to watering. What else are we doing in the garden right now? We are pinchy, pinch, pinching. I'm pinching zinnias, other annuals that I keep talking about every week. I hope you're not getting too sick of me. I haven't talked about tomatoes. You know how above a branch, another branch starts and it almost looks like an upside down arm armpit hair? I'm sorry, but that's sort of what it looks like. So I was always told to pinch those out. And sometimes I have and sometimes I haven't. But I do re- realize that if I don't pinch those out, I think they're technically called suckers. They basically become this whole other plant. And if you have a sort of a symmetrical staking system going on, and then this whole other plant starts to make your staking system lean one direction, that means, well, what it probably means is that you didn't pinch it immediately. It now has either flowers or little tomatoes on it, and you can't pinch it because you just are too greedy for those tomatoes. I think the best thing to do is have a look at your plant every week. Um, it can get out of control. It's much easier to stake if it's one main trunk with the original branches coming off of it instead of these upside down armpit hairs making it a little bit unwieldy. And then how about Cleomy? I say Cleomy. Some people say Cleomy. That is a great annual, very tall, hairy, doesn't smell good, is not a good cut flower, but it just, it's a powerhouse in it and it's a really good self-seeder. Once you get Cleomy in your yard, you have Cleomy in your yard. Just one thing to say that towards this time of year, that top lead flower begins to look not so beautiful because the flower part of it gets smaller and smaller and the seeds, which are these long, skinny, tubular things, the seed pods, get more and more to be a part of the look. Those aren't beautiful, although they are really fun to roll between your thumb and your finger and the seeds spray out everywhere, which means that you will have Cleomy next year. If your top flowers have become just not as attractive as they used to be because they've got that hairy look going on, just cut them away and let the lower ones come and it'll soon look fresher again. What to listen to in the garden. I think I have to go with another podcast this week. And it's not about gardening. Well, mostly not about gardening, but I've really been enjoying it. 
It's called 99% Invisible, and it's one of the more famous podcasts out there. So pardon me if this is not new news to you. Roman Mars is generally the speaker, and he's great. It's incredibly professionally produced, unlike me, sitting under the tablecloth here. It's based on architecture and design, but there's a lot of history and culture involved in it too. I'm going to put a link to the compendium of what Podcast Review calls the 15 best episodes, and among them are topics like what has become of some of the original giant Sears and Roebuck buildings, and how raccoon behavior influences rubbish bin design, and, although they probably call it trash can, sorry, that's a throwback to me um, living in Australia for a year, trash can design, and the history of one of the world's oldest lotteries, which is, of course, El Gordo, the fat one, in Spain. Tune in. I think you will like it. Also, you'll find links in the show notes to two particular episodes that bring in gardening. The Gorilla Garden of Eden, which features how a guy named Adam Purple removed rubble from an abandoned site in Lower Manhattan and made something far, far better. And another one that explores how wall gardens make for free, after you've built the walls, quasi-greenhouses with their own microclimates. This was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH or look on my website, lhgardens.com. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden and I want to get you into yours. I'll see you next week.